Let's get to the headlines. Welcome back to Healthcare Strategies Headlines Ooh. Edition. It's been a hot minute or two. I think that's what the kids say today's episodes. World's most dangerous malware targets healthcare, a magic pill to revolutionize patient monitoring. ACOs did not boost mental health, and all of us sets to enter its next ambitious phase. This is Kyle Murphy, Vice President of Editorial Excelligent Healthcare Media. And as always, I'm joined by Kelsey Waddell. Hello. Senior editor, multimedia manager, all things payers, podcasts, and and what have you. <laughs> Important question for you, Kelsey, mm. now that Thanksgiving is in the rear view. Yeah. When is the right time to decorate for Christmas? I think that this is a very, very controversial question to start off our <laughs> restart our season with. But it's, I mean, to me, I feel like December is the right time. You just got to enjoy the last dregs of fall and november people don't appreciate fall enough and if you just rush straight to christmas like you miss out on that last little i do i do understand i do hear you i have a family tradition of buying a tree the day after thanksgiving so it's ceremonial at this point so whenever that happens it happens i will say though we we're not long for that tree we we get it to christmas and by that time my wife has decided it's (laughs) taken up too much room in our house and it's another f- mouth to and feed. And dropping needles <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, it, uh, I get a good month out of it, but then it's it's on to bigger and better things, mostly reclaiming space <laughs> because I have children and whatnot and their stuff is everywhere. Christmas just brings more stuff. That's true. Don't have a big footprint. Yeah. I'm doing my part. All right. What's up first? So first we've got the world's most dangerous malware is targeting healthcare, Ooh. which, yeah, starting off with darkness and we're just gonna we're gonna move towards hope i promise december is the darkest month let's do it so thematic in a recent brief the hhs health sector Cybersecurity coordination center say that five times fast really hc3 called out emotet it's a it's also egyptian god emotet emotet as a highly dangerous malware The malware has consistently targeted the healthcare sector since 2014 or potentially earlier. Mm -hmm. And after a brief hiatus, which started in January 2021, it returned in November 2021 with a whole new approach. I like how it took a break. It took a little break (laughs) and came back and uh, glowed up, I guess, or down, depending how you want to look at it. Initially, Emotet was primarily a banking trojan, which basically means that it's a program that masqueraded as a banking service. But nowadays, it poses a threat to the healthcare system largely through its botnet, which is a collection of internet connected devices that have been infected with malware. Mm -hmm, So in addition to this function, Emotet also collaborates with other cyber criminal groups and offers them its botnet as an infrastructure as a service. The service is believed to operate out of Ukraine. I'm glad they have their own community. It's good to form partnerships. <laughs> support. <laughs> support groups. Peer support groups. Anyway, Emotet is not to be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Europol has described it as the world's most dangerous malware. That's where we got our title was just a quote straight from Europol. And healthcare professionals in particular should be a high alert about this as healthcare is near the top of the list of Emotet's targets. It was the fourth most targeted industry by Emotet in the first quarter of 2022. Mm -hmm. So to healthcare defenders, HC3 recommended stay informed about Emotet 
and its evolving capabilities, some of the key strategies that might mitigate cybersecurity risks are, you know, the classics like include network segmentation and also multi-factor authentication to keep things safe. It's um, one of those things about working security in the healthcare segment, or actually probably any secure space. There are no days off, and the things yeah. you thought you conquered come back new and improved. Yeah, new and improved, and, and a it's, you know, stronger it's a, bite. It's a national security issue too. Yeah, clearly this isn't happening locally. Who's part of the botnet? Are you part of the botnet? I don't know. (laughs) Kyle, we've talked a bit about previous HC3 recommendations on other episodes of Headlines. What makes this announcement unique, do you think? You know, I think it's it's about persistence. When we talk about emerging threats, a lot of times, I think one of the things that's also important to be cognizant of are persistent threats and things that continue to linger. And really just the, the, the fact that healthcare is a significant target that obviously has some kind of value either to destabilize the country or to sell information and make mm-hmm. money off of it and profit from it. Um, and we know for any highly regulated space that covered entities in this case, you know, HIPAA cover entities have a lot at stake. So they need to do right by their patients, need to do right by their kind of compliance with federal, state, and local law. So it's obviously a lot to digest on a regular basis, which is probably why these people don't really talk to the media that much, because I think they're busy all the time. (laughs) Got more important things going on. (laughs) All right, let's get to some fun. A magic pill to revolutionize patient monitoring. Researchers from Massachusetts and West Virginia developed the Vitals Monitoring Pill VM pill, a wireless capsule-sized device for remote vital signs monitoring. It uses integrated circuits and sensors, including accelerometer, to measure heart and respiratory rates. Developed in collaboration with Brigham Women's Hospital, MIT, Celero Systems, and West Virginia University Go Mountaineers, its effectiveness was confirmed in preclinical in human studies. The device accurately captured vital signs and detected respiratory issues in sleep study patients. We're talking uh, sleep apnea, I do believe. Mm -hmm. Future enhancements aim to extend its stomach retention and to extend its life in the stomach and enable automatic drug delivery for conditions like opioid overdose. Wow. So intelligent uh, continuous monitoring is, is clearly the goal of a lot of this remote patient monitoring activity. This sounds promising to you, no, Kelsey? Yeah. Remote patient monitoring is a space that has seen a lot of development in recent years, a lot of emphasis on it. And so to see something like this come to fruition is exciting, especially when it addresses something like the opioid epidemic. I mean, we need all the help we can get in that area. So it's pretty cool. I will say, I feel like it's going to be hard for people to... It's going to be hard to digest. Is that what you're going to say? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like... There's going to be pushback if this becomes widespread that people are going to start feeling like it's... Uh, they're being monitored from the inside yes, out? yeah. And what goes in your body? Like, you shouldn't have eaten those French fries, Kelsey. <laughs> they're going to be watching every French fry I eat. Oh, no. No, 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 no. All right. Well... In other positive news. <laughs> in other positive news. Not, Not really. Not so positive. <laughs> Not so positive. But speaking of, you know, monitoring health, um, ACOs... Did not have the expected effect on mental health that we were hoping for. Medicare beneficiaries that were newly enrolled in accountable care organizations, also known as ACOs, did not experience improvements in depression and anxiety symptoms, according to a study published in Health Affairs. 
ACOs, which are the dominant care model in traditional Medicare, aim to enhance care quality by linking physician payments to value-based care. They've been viewed as key players in the effort to drive higher access to mental health care among older populations, but researchers found no significant changes in mental health outcomes among those enrolled in ACOs. Newly enrolled ACO beneficiaries faced instead a 12.2 percentage point lower likelihood of having an evaluation and management visit related to depression or anxiety with any provider and a 9.8 percentage point drop in the likelihood of such a visit with a primary care clinician. There were no significant changes in mental health specialist visits or antidepressant prescribing either. The results suggested the need for a shift in incentives and better payment parity. The researchers recommended that we refine the ACO program requirements to specifically target mental health conditions and also propose some policy considerations related to payment that might improve outcomes. So Payment parity has been fairly elusive for mental health professionals, which is crazy because the first federal mental health parity protections are over a quarter of a century old now. Kyle, do you see any signs of hope that you can share with us on this payment parity front? Yeah. <laughs> I think with the use of telehealth in the in the behavioral health, mental health space, um, and payment parity there, or at least um, increasing access points is a positive one. I think if, if I understand this survey correctly, it seems to me the problem is when patients are newly enrolled, that there there isn't a more robust screening effort in terms of what their current mental health is or what their mm-hmm. behavioral health, uh, what kind of struggles they have. And maybe it's a problem of meeting your, a new provider or, you know, just entering Medicare. Maybe folks aren't just, aren't comfortable having that conversation just yet, not to mention PCPs are not necessarily the the best equipped to treat mental health, which, you know, we talk about prescriptions for antidepressants. Yes, that that treats a physical component of it, but the mental cognitive component of it is a, is a whole other matter, and that needs to be managed by specialists, and um, it can only happen when um, the patient is, is willing and open to accepting that kind of help. So, I think what's positive is it's never been easier to access mental health. The question is cost. Mm-hmm. And then the other question is, how does this then tie back into your overall health care? So if you're creating more fragmentation between your body and your mind, yep. the two are inter- interconnected and actually coexist. So yeah. the separation of church and state, head and body, doesn't necessarily <laughs> seem to be that good. Doesn't work out well. No dice. All right, let's move on to the last bit. So all of us, that really ambitious uh, research program, which asks patients all across the country to contribute their genetic information, biological samples and such to this large database for research purposes, is entering its next ambitious phase. NIH, the National Institutes of Health, has allocated $9.7 million to 26 two-year projects to enhance research using the All of Us research program data set, of which I am a part. These projects, supported by 10 NIH institutes, centers, and offices, will focus on tool development and novel analyses in various disease areas. The funded projects from over 20 institutions will explore health conditions like chronic pain, Mm -hmm. heart disease, mental health, all those are like me, right, in a nutshell, Uh, but not, and cancer and develop data analytics tools. Post-funding, these tools will be accessible to researchers through the All of Us Researcher Workbench. This initiative extends all of us's efforts to advance medical research. So, Kelsey, it's been four years since a program, this program in particular launched. What is your takeaway or what's your opinion on the potential value for these 
large scale information gathering and now analytical studies and, and what their benefits could be for the overall healthcare system. Yeah, I mean, so I'm looking at this list of the kinds of things that they're going to be targeting, chronic pain, heart disease, cancer. I mean, as my, you know, healthcare intelligence mind is kind of going, this is the things that are- This is where all the money goes. Yeah, <laughs> dragging down the healthcare spending in the U.S., or rather pushing up, up the healthcare spending in the U.S. So if there was a space to use this sort of data, then this would be a very effective, these would be very effective areas. So hopefully, hopefully it provides more insight on these disease states that affect- large swaths of the American population, not just so that we have lower spending, but also so that, I mean, better mainly outcomes, so right? that <laughs> yeah, patients can have better outcomes and can get more insight into effective policies and effective strategies. It is true. It's a really good point. Like we, we, we know how prevalent these particular issues are. We know how expensive they are, mm-hmm. but we don't understand the why and, and the how. So, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So yeah. more data should lead to us being able to derive greater insight and hopefully change the way that these conditions are managed, maybe screened for so that they don't occur, you know, prevention being what it is. Yeah. That's been today's episode of Healthcare Strategies Headlines. Yep. Feel free to reach out to us at podcast at excelligentmedia.com and anywhere you happen to find this podcast. Yeah. Kelsey, good to see you. Good to see you too again, Kyle. All right. Bye. Bye. This is a Tech Target production.